Hey everybody, this is Fred Ricciani of the Sports Courier. On this week's podcast, we look back at not one, but two memorable interviews we conducted with current NXT rising superstars, Luis Punishment Martinez and the virtuosa Diana Perrazzo. First up, Punishment Martinez, the former Ring of Honor television champion, who recently made his NXT TV debut against fellow Monster Factory product, Matt Riddle. Mr. Martinez, how's it going? Going good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. Now, you're a guy that's been around since the early 2000s. I, I mentioned before, kind of been under the radar. It's, it's, it's funny I say that because it's hard for a guy that's 6'7 and 250 pounds to be under the radar. But you're a guy that's been around for a while, cutting your teeth on the independent scene. And this year, you've really kind of burst on the national scene and worldwide scene with ROH and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Obviously, your, your look stands out. Your in ring work's very good. What took you so long to finally make that big splash? You know, it's one of those things, and I, I tell younger guys all the time is to not waste their time. Uh, I love professional wrestling. I always have, but I never really gave it my all. You know, I kind of was that weekend warrior guy, and I kind of coasted by with my size and taking advice from the wrong people. So basically, when I should have been working harder than the next guy next to me, I was just doing enough just to get by. And of course, that shows on a national level, like you said, when you're talking about a TV product, uh, they see that they see through you. And that's why I didn't get opportunities that I thought I should have at the time. It wasn't until I decided to pretty much change my whole life around and dedicate myself to professional wrestling that the opportunities started coming. And I've talked to a few people that know you a little bit, and they mentioned a word to me that resonated throughout our conversation about you when I was trying to do some research here. They said persistence. They said you're the very definition of persistence in terms of the shape you got yourself into and how much you've improved in the ring over the last few years. And obviously, I would imagine that came after realizing, you know what, I got to get serious about this thing. Can you talk a little bit about that persistence that people talk about when they describe you? Yeah. So it came down to I was working in Atlantic City and I was told that either I had to spend, you know, dedicate myself to that job or do the wrestling thing. It was one or the other. I had to quit wrestling if I wanted to continue working there. And without hesitation, I said, you have my two weeks notice. Um, and that's when I realized, man, if I'm going to give up a good job or a high paying job for this wrestling uh, dream of mine, I really have to give it my all. And from that day forward, Every day I do something to better myself in the world of professional wrestling, whether it's tape study or in the mirror doing promos or going to the gym or in-ring training, cardio, whatever it may be, any aspect of professional wrestling, I try to make it every day that I've got a little bit better. And that including losing over 100 pounds, you know, because I was I was huge, but I did not work out. I never worked out in the gym ever. Um, I was always just naturally big. Um, and it was until, like I said, it, it just one day it hit me and it basically was one of those, what am I doing with my life moments? And, uh, and I also changed my, you know, my surroundings of people around me. Uh, and my mind frame was different where everything was positive and I just, everything was positive. I tried to draw out all negative things that surrounded my life. I still do. Um, but every day it's also every day I try to work harder than the person next to me. And that's how I know I'll, I'll stay ahead of the curve, you know? For sure. That's that's an amazing story. And you're a product of the Monster Factory. And I, I believe now you're one of the trainers of the Monster Factory in Paulsboro, New Jersey. 
Yeah, it's funny because since I'm still in the business, it's kind of weird being a coach or trainer. So I always say I assist training, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I've, I've been uh, in ring uh, uh, training guys for a few years now. That's it's pretty it's pretty cool. And you work with a guy who's become a pretty famous last couple of years as well, in Danny Cage, and he's a guy that's it's no nonsense, uh, all about wrestling twenty four seven dedication but he like you mentioned about surrounding yourself with positivity has such a positive mindset on the business uh why do you think you and danny and the rest of the crew have been so successful over the last few years for those that don't know the monster factory has been around for a long time it was founded by larry sharp and trained a number of talented wrestlers such as the big show bam bam bigwell the list goes on and on you guys can can google it but i feel like for a while it kind of you know not went down, but you didn't really hear about the Monster Factory in, in the Jersey, New York area. And over the last few years since you've been a part of it and, and Danny Cage, it's really kind of become, you know, no pun intended, a Monster Factory for some really talented pro wrestlers. Yeah, um, I think it comes down to the passion and love for the business. Um, and we're just he, he came to the same conclusion that I did that, you know, we want to we want this to be part of our lives. We have to do everything possible to make it successful. Now, his point is owning uh, you know, the school and he did everything pretty much when he trained, he always wished it was a certain way. So he made that his goal to make the school the way he wished he could have trained. And man, he, he's, he motivates you. He, he, he pushes you to your limit, but he does it because he wants you to succeed. And that's why I think the school has been so successful um, and why we're so close along with QT Marshall when he was, you know, coaching here as well with the blue and the blue meanie and Bill Wiles, which are also coaches of the monster factory. It's Dan just draws you in because of his love for the sport and, uh, and his passion for it. So anything he does and all that, all those motivational videos that he puts out and all those motivational words that he says is all because of his passion of progressing. And, and when you feel that as well, it's easy to be drawn to that person. So the guy you see on the internet and on YouTube is the guy you see every day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're nonstop, all day, every day. <laughs> wow, man. Now, with, you mentioned that you never lifted a weight before uh, for a while. But the, funny yeah, thing is, I, but the funny thing is I found out that your dad was actually a martial artist. So how'd that all work out? Well, yeah, I didn't lift weights, but I, I still trained. Uh, well, I was a martial artist first before I was into pro wrestling. Um, I won two national championships in, in full contact fighting in New York um, under his tutelage. He trained uh, traditional Japanese martial arts since he was a, a kid uh, and then passed it on to me. We, we had multiple martial arts schools in New York um, where we trained and, and, and uh, you know, traveled for tournaments and whatnot with our students for many years. Um, so that was, I mean, that was part of, you know, I guess working out, but I, what I mean, I didn't work out. I didn't, I didn't see the inside of an actual gym. You know, it was when I was in high school, I did uh, football, basketball, baseball, and then I did martial arts as well. And then from there, I took a few years off that I wasn't doing anything. And then finally I started joining, you know, decided to be a pro wrestler. Uh, and then the training was just the in-ring training there. But once I left there, I didn't really uh, work out at all. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> 
And, and with martial arts, was that ever a career path for you? Is that something you thought of and said, man, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like a martial artist and maybe try to make some money off of this, open, open some schools or. No, pro wrestling. I mean, pro wrestling was always a dream that let's say I, I used to always joke with my friends about like, oh man, one day we should do this. You know, it'd be cool. We could be a tag team. Uh, but realistically, yeah, the martial arts was something that I thought was going to be my future. Uh, I figured that I would have my own schools and I would continue, you know, competing at the time, right before we closed our school, cause we moved, uh, for about a year or two, we moved to Florida. So we had to, we closed, closed the schools down. Uh, that's right around when UFC one came one and two came out. So when that came out, we were actually like thinking about it. Like my father started training to, to, he was hoping to compete in the UFC. But then once we closed down the school there, you know, the training slowed and stopped. So, you know, that goal or, or you know, dream or whatever, it kind of faded. And then I moved back uh, up north and it was pretty much that's where I decided I wanted to be a pro wrestler. You grew up in the New York area, still reside in, in the New York area. You got to have some memories of growing up a wrestling fan here. I mean, you're right by the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. Of course, we got Barclays now. There's the Nassau Coliseum. There, there was the uh, Continental Airlines Arena in, in Jersey. I mean, this is a such a great hub for pro wrestling and some legendary pro wrestling moments. Any memories stand out as a kid? Oh, I got a ton. I went. My dad would take me to every event that was at Madison Square Garden from the WWE or wow. F at the time. And in the '90s, I went to every single one. Um, so oh, I have so many. I, my favorite. Man, I would say Survivor Series in 96, Undertaker came down like a bat. Uh, and when Sean lost uh, the belt to Sid, I was there. That was that was really cool. That was a good one. Um, man, there's so many, but that was probably my favorite one. Uh, I was there for the click moment. Oh, the so, current call. Oh, wow. You were there for the current call. Yeah. I, I did not. At the time, it was cool, you know, like, as you know, I'm sitting sitting there in the stands, and it was cool to cheer, but we didn't know that this was going to be such a big moment. Nobody knew. It was just like, yeah. oh, man, the good guys and bad guys are hanging out together, you know? But besides that, it was whatever. Like, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Now it is because now we know what it meant. But at the time, nobody knew what that meant. Yeah. So it was just a cool moment um, for people because everybody loved Razor. And then Sean, and then to see them hugging, and then Diesel, they all knew that they were friends at one point, so to see them hugging stuff was cool. The oddball out was Hunter Hearst Helmsley at the time, where it was kind of like, why is he in the ring? <laughs> why is he? <laughs> because nobody knew that they were all real friends, you know. I mean, just saw a few people did, but you know, the, the internet wasn't and wasn't anything back then, so nobody really knew that they were like close. So it's to me, that was my first reaction. Like, why is he in the ring? <laughs> you know, but that was a cool moment. Now looking back and knowing what it meant, you know? Uh, yeah. That, so those, those stick out big time. Who was the wrestler that drew you in? Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> when I lived, cause I was, uh, I was born in New York city uh, and then when I was a baby, I was taking with, I lived with my mom in Puerto Rico till I was about 10. So Spanish was my first language. I didn't know how to read, uh, read, speak or write in English till I was about 11, uh, where I moved back with my dad to New in New York. Um, so in living in Puerto Rico, you know, as a kid, I liked wrestling. 
Uh, people in the neighborhood well, I liked it too. It, it came on in random days and times. It always changed, so you never knew when to really follow it. Um, and I liked it more so because my friends liked it, but I didn't really, I, I don't know, as a kid, I guess from what I could remember, I was more into like Night Rider and <laughs> Saved by the Bell. And then to one day when The Undertaker stuffed, uh, locked, the, locked the Ultimate Warrior in a casket, uh, that day stayed with me and I, I was in awe and because I, I was drawn in to see if if the ultimate warrior was going to live or not. And then, but to, but everybody knew ultimate warrior. He was like unstoppable. And to see the undertaker do that to him, I was so drawn to the undertaker from that day forward. Uh, and in love with professional wrestling that actually made that moment made me fall in love with professional wrestling where I had to watch it every week. Were you always a big kid or did there come a point in like high school or something where you just hit a gigantic growth spurt? That's exactly what happened. No, I wasn't always a big kid. I used to, my mom would tell me that I used to ask her, like, what was I ever going to grow? Because everybody was bigger than me. And it wasn't until I moved with my dad and I started playing sports. And then one summer I grew, I don't even know how much, but it was a ridiculous amount where from one end of the summer to the other, when people that didn't see me saw me, I was towering over everybody. Uh, and I, I, I had a lot of growing pains with my knees because it, I grew so fast that my joints couldn't keep up. So I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't sleep at night. My dad would have to like, give me ice and stuff in the middle of the night because I was crying uh, because I grew so fast. Um, but, yeah, that's how it happened with me. I wasn't always that big. It was pretty much when I was about 13, 14, when I really hit, started hitting growth spurts. And you became a pro wrestler, I believe, in 2004. We're cutting your yep. teeth for a while. Um, was there ever a point where you're like, man, you know, I haven't been on TV yet. I haven't been signed by a major organization. Maybe I should, I should look into an alternative. Or did you just decide, hey, you know what? I got to keep going. No, they, I hit that, that point And uh, I stepped away from, from wrestling for a good, like, seven, eight months. Um, and because it just, I felt like there was nothing for me. Um, I just felt like... And at the time, the Monster Factory was different then. It was run differently. And, for instance, I didn't know a whole lot about anything outside of WWE. You know, and the main companies. But, like, independent wrestling, I didn't know a lot because it wasn't really preached to us. And I was never, I never even thought to look outside of, you know, the companies I watched on TV. So I didn't even know that. I did a few indies, but it wasn't like that big of a deal or even Ring of Honor. Like I wouldn't have like I wish what I know now I knew then I probably would have had a better shot of getting noticed a lot earlier. Um, but I was stuck in a rut and uh, I took a break. Um, I had cut my hair and and then eight months later. Here comes uh, Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, their first match at WrestleMania 25. Uh and I was it, that match drew me so much back into wanting to be in pro wrestling again. And then I went back to the Monster Factory. They had a show, and I stood in the audience and watched the show. And I was like, I have to get back in that ring. I I, I miss this. I love this. And then from that day forward, I uh, I was back at it again. And then again in 2013, 12 towards the end of 2012, 2013. That's when I had that that moment where I was like, okay, this is balls to the wall and uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to stop where if I fail, I could say, okay, well, I tried my, my best and I tried my hardest. Man, seems like you owe the undertaker a lot. I hope you meet him one day. 
I got to meet him in uh, in 99, which is really cool. And uh, he was really cool to me. You know, I was, I think I was about 19. I'm not caring about how old I was. But yeah, he was super cool. That was such a cool moment. I have a picture shaking his hand. You know, I, it was one of those that I paid to meet him. Um, and I, I was so worth it. It was, I froze, you know, I was, I was legit starstruck, which is probably the only time that's ever happened to me, you know, but yeah, he is the reason why I got into pro wrestling. And you mentioned the undertaker and Shawn Michaels match, that whole feud, that whole buildup was just so great. I mean, I, I feel like that, that might be one of the greatest builds in all of pro wrestling. I mean, the first match, I think it was more of just, you know, two legends that didn't cross paths in, in over a decade, you know, battling it out, having, having a great match. Uh, but then afterwards, the year after, where Shawn Michaels was so obsessed with beating him and putting his career on the line, and I thought it was such such great storytelling that, frankly, we don't see enough of these days in pro wrestling. Yeah, I mean, times have changed where, you know, uh, and it's the world has changed. So it's not to say that it can't be done because it's, it absolutely can. And we've seen it happen since where once in a while we get a good build to something and a good story. And that's in every company. Um, but not as much. And that's because uh, just attention spans and that need to give nonstop action and fast pace is, is just it's overcome the world, basically. I mean, you see it in movies even where an action movie now is not what an action movie used to be. You know, you did an action movie now to make a lot of money has to be this epic action nonstop scenes, you know, like the, the superhero movies where in yesteryear, if you rewatch the movies, it was a lot more story and it was a little slower paced. Um, but that's, you know, things evolve, things change and, you know, it is what it is. We got to move on. Um, a lot of us obviously still miss that aspect of storytelling, you know? Um, so that's why we get it from time to time, but not as much as we probably would like. A company that does some storytelling pretty damn well is ring of honor wrestling to have over the course of their, their long history, their 15, their 15 year history, just celebrated their 15th anniversary a few months back, which is unbelievable to think about their humble beginnings. How'd you get linked up with ROH? Uh, in 2013, I believe, uh, I met Kevin Kelly. He came to the monster factory to do a seminar. And from that moment on, he told, he specifically pulled me to the side and told me that he wanted me to start showing up at shows that I could get to to meet everybody and to do the ROH tryout camp. And I did a tryout camp and then I started going to the shows and then I went up to, you know, the booker basically. And I told him like, Hey, cause he's also the head trainer at the ROH dojo. And I said, Hey, would you mind if I come by and, you know, train with you guys? And he said, absolutely. Uh, and then I started training at their school just to, you know, not only to obviously get known there and so that they could see me firsthand, but, but legit, I was in that positive mindset of, let's see what I could learn. I would love to learn something new. And, and I did, um, I learned a lot from him. Uh, and then we gained that relationship of respect and, you know, him seeing my, my, not just my struggle, but my relentlessness, like he was speaking about where I, I was, you know, just so determined. Um, and then that led to an opportunity, you know, a dark match. And then that led to the top prospect tournament. And then eventually led to me getting a contract. With ROH comes, of course, the relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I know you've gotten to work a, a few dual shows with ROH and, and New Japan and everything. And earlier this year, you actually got to compete for the Never title against Hiroki Goto, which is a huge opportunity for you. 
uh, given, you know, where he came from and all the persistence and everything. I mean, can you describe that feeling being, that was in Tokyo, Japan, right? Yeah. Did you just saying it again, reminded me, just gave me goosebumps all over again. Uh, it's one of those surreal things that not that I forget it happened, but it, it I forget that it, it really happened where it's almost like a dream um, because it was so surreal. You know, like I spoke to you about the martial arts, whereas the traditional Japanese martial arts, since I was a kid, I wanted to go to Japan. Um, originally, it was to train in martial arts, and then that evolved into pro wrestling. But Japan has always been a part of, you know, a culture that I was always attracted to because it started with the martial arts. So just getting to go to Japan was a big deal for me. And then getting to go there to work um, because they want me to go was a was mind blowing. And then to get the spot that I did where I think only three or four guys got singles matches. Everybody else was in tag matches for two days straight. Um, I was one of the few and, and, and the one that got a title shot, which is pretty uh, incredible. So the whole feeling, the, the entire uh, trip was amazing. The experience was second to none. I can't compare it to anything else that has ever happened to me in my life. It was incredible. Um, I was received so well and, and everybody there was so good to me, fans, office, you know, new, the new Japan personnel, everybody, um, the, the entire, I have not one bad thing to say. I had such a great time. And for those that don't know, uh, new Japan right now is currently killing it in terms of match quality. They're doing very well with their new Japan subscription service. They air on access TV every Friday night. They just had a live special in long beach and, in my humble opinion, I think that probably right now that main event roster, that upper echelon roster, might be the deepest we've seen in a company in God knows how long. I mean, maybe since the days of, you know, when WCW was at its peak in terms of just in-ring. Uh, when you were there, in that locker room, in the ring, I mean, can you describe what it's like to be amongst these greats and be able to learn from them? It's, you know, we spoke how, you know, I've been, I started when, in 2004, but I felt like it was my first day uh, just looking around and the feeling you get. But everybody's so humble and nice, which is which was kind of, you know, throws you off a little bit just because you don't expect that from guys who are seemingly on another level, so to speak. Uh, everybody was humble and nice, but being around everybody and just watching them, you know, go in firsthand in front of their crowd. It was uh, I was taken aback like that was besides it being cool, it was impressive. Like even for me who I'm in the business, I was so impressed. Um, and the caliber and the and the quality of their performance, their, their demeanor, their, just everything. It was, I was in awe. It was amazing. And all those guys, there's a reason why they're where they are. And there's a reason why they're stars in new Japan and you know, the entire roster, there's a reason for it. Every, from top to bottom, every single guy um, is, pure class and professionalism. You cater to your crowd and they know their audience. Um, so that, let's say that strong style that everybody talks about, that's what their audience wants to see. They know how to work their audience. And that was one thing that when I went, of course I had ideas in my head of what I wanted to do and then watching them and, and seeing them, how they put things together and then how they perform. I had to take a step back and say, Oh no, this is the way that I have to do things here. So I did have to pick up on little, you know, nuances and, and, and specific things to do in the ring or what not to do because 
we're in a different audience and, and things that I would do normally wouldn't work there. Just like something I would do uh, in the Indies, I wouldn't do in Ring of Honor and vice versa because it's just different. Um, so those are things that I picked up on. Um, but it's basically, you know, you, it's a universal language that wrestlers have where, you know, we, I don't speak Japanese. Some of the, like Hiroki Goto doesn't speak English. We couldn't communicate, you know, like have a conversation. But we went out there and we had a conversation over wrestling through actions. You know, we understood that language, you know, uh, which is awesome. And we had a good pace just because I fed off of him. You know, so it's one of those things where you really have to watch and observe and be able to adapt, um, which luckily for me, I was able to accomplish that in the ring and just pretty much follow his lead. Um, so that was the biggest thing. I just had to pay attention and, and you know, follow their lead. And and I went for the first night, which I was in a six-man tag. I teamed with Los Ingobernables de Japón. Uh, and, I, and I was in the ring with Tanahashi, which was amazing. Um, and he came out dressed as one of the boys for Dalton Castle, which was awesome. <laughs> Uh, but it was the same thing. It was one of those things, just watch, follow the lead, you know, and try not to screw up. <laughs> That's good advice. Is it safe to say with Ian Riccoboni on commentary with my friend Leon St. Giovanni, Shahim Ali, you it, it, all in ROH, is it safe to say that the Monster Factory has taken over? <laughs> I wouldn't say taken over, but we're, uh, we're definitely, uh, you know, leaving our, uh, footprint in Ring of Honor, you know, uh, but it goes with, you know, Ring of Honor, they're not, they don't show favoritism to anybody in particular, but they see the hard work, the dedication. And, you know, they know that if you're making it through the if you've made it through the Monster Factory system, that you obviously are probably going to be more dedicated and more willing to sacrifice for this business than others, because at least he knows for a fact how that comes. Not to say that others don't, because obviously there's a lot of professional wrestlers that don't come from the Monster Factory. But um, I think Ring of Honor sees that. And when guys could perform or they could bring something to the table that might be either different, unique or something that just that they need at the moment. If somebody's from the Monster Factory, they're probably going to get a, a, a second look because of that pedigree. Do you have any goals that you can reveal to us that you'd like to accomplish in the next year? Uh, in the next year, I'd like to, I'd like to be in a main event role, whether that's being, you know, more obviously on a regular basis. So that I would probably mean being a champion. So I'd like to hold some gold in Ring of Honor, but also as far as New Japan, Tokyo Dome, G1, those are uh, definite, definite goals of mine. Are you an archer looking for a one-stop shop for your archery needs? Well, you found it here with APAarchery.com. At APA, they're proud of their products and services. Their passion for archery is the motivation to engineer industry-leading technologies with world-class performance. Designed with functionality, APA bows are renowned for practical use in the field, accuracy, and with world-leading speeds. For more information, visit APAarchery.com. I'm talking to Deanna Perrazzo, fellow New Jerseyan. Deanna, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Now, first of all, before we get into your career, all the great momentum you have, I just want to say, as somebody that's also from New Jersey, I just want to personally thank you for not doing a stereotypical New Jersey gimmick. <laughs> Seriously, no problem. That was like my biggest fear when I started wrestling, was I was going to have to be like Jersey Shore Italian, and I just didn't want to do that at all. <laughs> 
Now, for the record, you are actually Italian, and you are actually from New Jersey, so you're not a poser. <laughs> yes. No, I am actually Italian and from New Jersey, not from Staten Island. So. <laughs> now, when, you, when you got started, did anybody try to pitch that idea to you? Because at the time you broke in, I think that was around the time where uh, another former guest of TSC, Robbie E., was doing the gimmick, and he was, he was, he was pretty successful at it. There were several other people doing kind of like that, that whole Jersey Shore thing, and you know, did anybody come up to you and say, hey, Deanna, you know, why don't you go join my stable and, you know, let's, let's hop on this uh, Jersey Shore bandwagon? <laughs> Luckily not, because Robbie E. is one of the people that were uh, around me when I had first started training quite a bit. So um, I couldn't do that, but people were very um, adamant about, like, just be you and be, who, be Italian and be your character. And it took me a really long time to just embrace that and accept that that's who I am and that's who I'm going to be. Um, but at first, no. Yeah, and for you, you, you've had a lot of momentum these last few years, and obviously you've busted your butt to get where you're at, uh, put in a lot of hard work, but you're relatively, yeah. you're still relatively young in the business, and you've been pretty much everywhere. I mean, like I said at the top of the show, NXT, yeah. SmackDown, Impact Wrestling. Of course, you've been a cornerstone of the ROH women's division, and now they are finally getting set to crown the finally. inaugural ROH Women of Honor champion. What's it like to put yeah. in all that work to be somebody that's been beating that drum for so long, being an outspoken person and say, hey, you know, we want opportunities and to finally get it right now? Um, it's really exciting because not even just in the last five years that I've been wrestling have I worked for these opportunities, but in a way, like, I was a little girl that wanted to do this. And I saw, you know, at 9 and 10 and 11 years old how women were treated uh, t treated in wrestling. So. Um, I always had this in, this picture in my head and envisioned women's wrestling being the way it is today and getting these opportunities and being seen as tr serious competitors and true athletes. So um, to see this kind of evolution, as they say, of how uh, women have come to rise in the last few years is really incredible because it didn't start with me at 18 when I started wrestling. It started in this this little girl that was nine years old. How much of a difference is there from you starting at 19 to, to now in terms of how women have been perceived? Because uh, uh, even just a few years ago, you know, women were, some women were still looked at as eye candy, booked as eye candy, booked as valets, didn't get a lot of time in the card. Now they're, they're yeah. the main attraction. Now, you know, like, for example, Tennille Dashwood, who just joined ROH, she's headlining shows. Mm -hmm. She's doing her thing. I mean, she's the main event. I mean, it, it, has there been a big change since you first started? Yeah, I mean, I feel like everyone's go-to is to talk about, you know, WWE and, um, you know, their women's revolution, but it's really changed on the independent scene as well. I mean, you see so many um, all-women independent wrestling companies popping up all over the country, um, and if it's not an all-women's card, it's three or four women's matches, or there's, there is valets, or there is managers, or there's women referees, and... Um, just across the board in professional wrestling, women have been given so many opportunities um, from an independent level all the way up. So there's been a change completely across the board. Would you do, would you attribute that to the early days of NXT with with Paige and Tennille, or would you go back like further than that? Like, when did you start seeing the change? Like, was there somebody or some promotion or some movement in particular that you noticed uh, being a wrestler that kind of helped drive the change in the right way? Um, I mean, I tend to say that I don't even know if it started in professional wrestling. I think having um, strong women athletes all over the world who have been working for women's equality and, uh, you know, women to um, be more than just, you know, the sideshow or the afterthought, um, that really sparked 
this whole women's movement in the last few years. It's it hasn't just been professional wrestling. It's been women in sports and women's athletes all over the world. Who drew you into professional wrestling back in the day? Um, I, I you can't quote me on who exactly it was, but I think Stone Cold Steve Austin hit maybe Chris Jericho um, over the head with a chair, and that was the first moment that I can remember being like, "Holy crap, what is this?" And it just hooked me. Uh, I needed to know like every single thing about whatever this crazy thing that I just saw was. And um, once I got to see the women do it, and I got to see Trish and Lita and. Victoria and Jacqueline and these just strong, powerful women do this intense thing. Um, I knew that one day if I did it, I could do it too. So Trish uh, Stratus has always been like my little inspiration for being a women's wrestler. And she looked awesome in that women's Royal Rumble match. I mean, I know she's, oh, she's so great, but I mean, seriously, she yeah. didn't miss a beat. Absolutely not. And she literally is more beautiful today than she was the last time she was in a wrestling ring. Like, I don't know what she does or how she, how she does it, but she just keeps getting better. <laughs> she, she's definitely on that reverse aging plan. Absolutely. Who uh, got you started in professional wrestling? Because from what I understand, you did train under our mutual friend, Rip Rogers, who, who's mm-hmm. the man. Um, so I started at a place called D2W. Um, and it was right out of Wharton, New Jersey, which was about 20 minutes from where um, I grew up. So... Um, I drove past the place that they run shows every month and I saw like a big banner on the, on the VFW and that it, it said like pro wrestling live every month. And for some reason, D2W stuck with me. And when I got home, I researched it and I saw they had um, a wrestling school. So, you know, a few weeks later I went and I signed up and uh, Damien Adams is actually my trainer. Um, he still is today. And he kind of set me up to, you know, not only just learn professional wrestling, but be successful at it. Which is great. And how did you, going from New Jersey, end up in Louisville, Kentucky under Rip Rogers? A man, for those that don't know, is not only a, a pro wrestling veteran, very well respected in the ring, but a guy that also mentored the likes of Brock Lesnar, John Cena, CM Punk, and Randy Orton. Yeah, um, Damien actually uh, is an OVW alumni. So um, we would take trips with other students or just him and I and go down to OVW and uh, take extra sessions with Rip and kind of use it as a vacation, but also to do uh, OVW house shows and OVW TV and just kind of um, get that whole experience. When you first told your family and friends, hey, uh, I think I'm really going to try doing this professional wrestling thing, their initial reaction was? Well, I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, everyone knew that I had wanted to be a professional wrestler. Um, and, you know, it's like a weird thing. And, you know, like I was a cheerleader and I was a gymnast and it was kind of like, uh, no, you're going to go to college and you're going to do the college thing. And uh, I tried that. But um, I think people just thought it was a phase that I was going through. And eventually, like, I'd grow out of it. And I just never did. Um, so when I did sign up for wrestling school, I didn't tell anyone. And I just went and I did it. And I came home and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a wrestler. I told you. Um, and I think my mom was more mad that I like signed this contract to pay all this money uh, without her seeing it or knowing what I did. Um, but, you know, now they're really supportive about it. Now, they say in wrestling, timing's everything, and you're somebody that's obviously very talented and hardworking, but I think you picked a pretty damn good time to get in the business because <laughs> these last few years, you know, with the women's wrestling evolution, with the indies being so hot, I mean, it's, I think it's a great time to be a, a talented pro wrestler outside of WWE. Can you attest to how hot the indies are right now? Because you're hearing from so many guys and girls that are be able to make a living outside of WWE and these other big promotions. Yeah, I mean... If you look around and see um, 
you know, even if you're watching WWE TV, like if I turned on Raw right now, uh, you could look, you know, to the audience that is at hard cam and you could see Bullet Club shirts and Villain Club shirts and Joey Ryan shirts and um, all these people have shirts and pro wrestling, uh, their pro wrestling t-shirts in Hot Topic stores. And I think that there's been a transition in the last year, two years of where independent wrestling has found this ability to become mainstream and um, identify with not even just casual wrestling fans, but casual people. Um, and I think that's super important. I think, you know, that's how the Young Bucks and that's how Marty Skrull, they, that's how they make their money. It's through their merchandise sales and um, it's, it's through the roof right now. So it's incredible for people to be able to make a living independent wrestling and to be traveling the world and keep a schedule that a lot of these people do. I mean, uh, I know just through personal experience with Marty, like he's never home and he's when he is he's jet lag and he's sleeping and then he's in an airplane again so you know for people to keep a schedule that some would say is harder than a wwe schedule is crazy just for independent wrestling oh absolutely but i, I gotta say what marty and, and the bull cup guys are, are doing and really just uh, a lot of guys and girls on the independent scene right now and the respective promotions i feel like they're really kind of taking advantage of the internet and, and streaming and everything kind of like similar to ROH. I mean, ROH, I know just launched uh, the honor club streaming service, but yeah. you know, before then ROH was known for its DVDs and they were better than anybody at kind of distributing those DVDs and getting that word of mouth and building up buzz for guys. And I feel like a lot of promotions right now are kind of at the forefront of that when it comes to streaming, which is why you hear about people like yourself and, and Marty Scurro and others. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, you know, evolution and it's a byproduct of, you know, the, the time we live in, but it's really, um, you know, Damien, had been wrestling for 16 years now and he says that social media has changed the way people get booked on independent shows and the way people contact promoters to be booked and it, it changed so much because if someone wants to know about me and they hear my name from someone they could just youtube me and that wasn't a thing 10 years ago 12 years ago you had to put your video on a vhs and send it in a manila envelope and hope someone looked at it you know so there's so much more access to wrestling today um, through Twitter, through Instagram, through YouTube, it's at our fingertips. And I think, you know, guys like the Young Bucks or Marty or Cody Rhodes and Joey Ryan, these people that are super successful in just independent wrestling right now, um, have found this this niche using social media to, to access more people than just wrestling fans. And, and I feel like it's kind of like a, a reality era in some ways. I know Triple H kind of coined that phrase in a, di in a different time, but I feel like more reality in the sense that, like, yeah, like, you know, Marty and yourself and a lot of other people, like, you know, they, they do have, like, a character on television. But you really, I really feel like the fans, like, these days kind of connect a lot more on, on a personal level with you guys. And because they can emotionally invest in you guys in the ring and out of the ring, that lends to more support wherever you go. Yeah, I think everyone wants to feel like they know someone or feel like uh, they're personal with another person. I think that's just human instinct. So um, to be able to use social media as a tool to get to know people and to know fans by name or to be able to recognize their face. It makes people feel special. And I think that's something that's really been useful um, in becoming successful independent wrestlers, because you don't always have TV to get who you are across and you don't always have that interaction and meet and greets and things like that. So I think to be able to, for me in New Jersey, to be able to talk to fans that I've met in Japan last year and still have that connection, it means more when I go back and I get to see them again. Um, so for anyone to be able to use these tools, it really helps you grow your own brand. Now, we know Rip Rogers is very big when it comes to the fundamentals. What's the most important <laughs> lesson that the hustlers taught you? Oh, you know, 
honestly, like everyone likes to talk about, you know, American psychology and he's so big on that. But I think more so he he's taught me just to like kind of go with the flow and do what I'm supposed to do and to realize that this is a job and it's not always about me and uh, just do what I'm asked and be over prepared in any situation. Now, a lot of people are a little surprised because they because you've been booked everywhere, you know, before you, you signed a, a deal with Ring of Honor. I'm sure you, you still have bookings outside of ROH and everything. Um, a lot of people mm-hmm. were surprised that you didn't end up in WWE or Impact. <laughs> was that yeah. kind of by choice in order to get more experience, or was it just at the time not meant to be? And- yeah, um, I just think at the time, like like we talked about earlier, we said, you know, timing is everything. And I just, when I was in NXT and when I did stuff with Impact, it just wasn't the right time for me. And I wasn't offered a contract. Um, through all the work that I did, if I was just extra talent and enhancement talent and I was okay looking back at it now, I'm okay with that because it wasn't my time. And I think that, um, I was able to learn and I was able to grow from those experiences and become a better professional wrestler for it. Um, but now I'm able to be at a place that I've always considered my home and ring of honor allows me to be the wrestler. I see myself as I get to put myself in the forefront and do the job for me, the way that I see fit where in these other companies, I was enhancement talent. I had to do the job how they saw fit. And through all those experiences, I've been able to create myself a little bit better. Yeah, and I think it helps too, right? Because you get a, you get a better grasp of who you are in the ring, your personality and everything. So, you know, knock on wood, you do end up, you know, staying in Ring of Honor, rising up the ranks, or eventually going to WWE or, or wherever. You're going to be a lot more polished and well-rounded. Yeah, I mean... I'm a big proponent of you never stop learning. And I I want to know everything about this that I could ever possibly know one day. So um, to be able to listen to Triple H speak on professional wrestling and get William Regal's opinion or, you know, pick uh, Johnny Saint's mind backstage or then go to Impact and talk to Gail Kim and talk to Madison Rain or Pat Kenny and then go to Ring of Honor and talk to Delirious, who's completely different from all those people. I mean, you pick up things from each person you meet. So um, I've been luckily been able to be surrounded by some of the best in the business for years. And, and I've experienced a lot in just a few years. So um, it's telling of, of the talent that I have, but also, you know, what, what I've been able to experience. We asked a few fans if they had any questions. And evidently enough, we have a lot of fans that are fluent in uh, Perazzo. You have some time for questions? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, right here from Scott Anderson. Who is your dream opponent, and have you faced her yet? I have not. My dream opponent would be Serena Deeb, um, but she just signed a contract to uh, start training at the Performance Center. So I don't think that that's ever going to happen, but if I had to have a dream opponent, it would be her. And I also think she's criminally underrated. A lot of people just know her (laughs) from that brief WWE stint, but I mean, she's considered a, a legend on the independent scene. Yeah, I mean, um, when I first started training, that was who Rip compared me to, and that's who he always said I reminded him of. So I just I studied her, and I just, I mean, I've gotten to meet her now, and we know each other, and uh, she's just a ten times more amazing person than she is a wrestler. So if I ever had to, to get in the ring with someone, it, I would love for it to be her. If not her, who else? Somebody that's, that's not signed by Daddy B, that's not restricted. Is there anybody out there right now that you think there's a match you could make happen, realistically speaking, in 2018? Uh, um, um, hmm. I don't know. Is Trish Stratus willing to wrestle? <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll run into her. Hey, maybe you could run into her at WrestleCon or something. Convince her. I, I hope so, because I'm yet to meet her, and I think that I will die. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, this one right here is from Alan Wu. When did you realize that wrestling was tougher than you thought? Um, I thought it would be tough, but I didn't realize how tough until my very first day of training. I uh, learned how to take a bump and fall backwards, and I had to do that like 150 times. And when I left, my trainer was like, okay, so we have practice on Sunday. And I was like, yeah, I'll totally be here. No problem. Uh, I didn't get out of bed for like a week. Uh, just because I physically could not muster up the strength to do it, I was in so much pain. And in that moment, I was like, is this really what I want to do right now? Um, but, you know, you adapt and you learn. So. Classic Dutton Eyes says, I really enjoyed your stuff in Impact Wrestling. I know you're signing ROH, but is there a chance that we could see you back there kind of mixing it up? I guess what he's trying to ask is, are you just exclusive to Ring of Honor right now, or are you open right. to going to you know, work with other promotions that might have some television? Um, I cannot, uh, per my contract, work with any other promotions that have television. So no WWE, no NXT, no Impact, uh, no Lucha Underground, stuff like that. But um, I'm free to do any independent wrestling uh, all over the world. So you can definitely see me at a show there, but unfortunately not Impact. Okay, Jeremy asks, who's your favorite opponent? Oh, um, I mean... If I had to pick a favorite, because I just like to beat them all. Um, <laughs> Karen Q, by far, Karen Q. Why is that? Um, we trained together, and I just I think she's a fantastic wrestler. I think um, she's just getting started, and she's just someone that, uh, as a person outside of wrestling, she's one of my best friends. We just click, and in the ring, um, we just are on the same page. We get each other, and uh, it's just fun to be able to wrestle someone um, who has the same ideals in wrestling as you and sees wrestling the same way, but is, can match you toe-to-toe in anything that you do. And she's one of the people who always give me run for my money. That's a pretty good reason for her to be your favorite opponent, then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ajane Totten asks, all right, this, this might be a little bit of a controversial one. What's your biggest pet peeve in professional wrestling? Um, That's easy. Uh, I hate when wrestlers are in the ring and they're pulling at their gear. Um get something that fits <laughs> you know when you get your gear made um send measurements that are correct or go to someone to get the measurements done for you i just think uh that's my biggest pet peeve because instead of watching the move or how you sell it or what's next and the transition to it i'm watching you pick your wedgie and i don't want to see that <laughs> yeah i didn't expect that one hey that's that's good advice for, for, any, yeah. for any wrestlers <laughs> that are watching you got some pretty badass gear who makes your gear um, I have a guy out in California whose name is Manuel. He makes all my gear for me. He's fantastic. He does anything I ask. And um, I just I send him replicas of my clothes, and I say, this is what fits me well. Make this. And uh, it always fits well. And if it doesn't, I send it back because, again, I don't. I just think it's distracting. I think it takes away from what we're doing, and we're putting our body at risk every time we get in the ring. So I want fans to get the most out of the damage that I'm doing to myself instead of looking at me pull my bra strap or whatever it is. I just think it takes away from the art of what we do. What do you think is your best performance up to this point? Like, is, is there a match that you had that just kind of clicked that you said, you know, obviously you still want to learn, you're always learning, but is, is there one match yeah. where you just said to yourself afterwards backstage, like, man, you know, I'm really starting to get this. It's starting to click for me. Um, I think it wasn't even a match on a show. Um, 
I Rip Rogers came up in the summer of 2014, I believe it was, and NYWC did a seminar with him and Mike Mondo, and I had met Mike five minutes before, and Rip was like, okay, Mike, Deanna in the ring, you're going to do an hour Broadway, go ahead, ring the bell, and the whole time, I had no idea uh, what I was doing, I was just listening to Mike, and it was on the fly, no planning before. Um, I didn't even know half the things that he was telling me to do or how to do them. He was just doing them himself. <laughs> um, and about 20 minutes in, I was like, if I just die right now, and it, that's just it. And the match is over and I don't have to do it. I just have to die. And uh, <laughs> you kind of get a second wind. And after that, I could kind of start to to pick things apart and understand why we did what we did in, in the order that we did them and the, the old school American psychology behind it. So I think... For me, um, that was probably the match that put everything into perspective for me. Ooh, this is also a really good one from Scott. What are your biggest pro wrestling do's and don'ts? I guess as like a young, as a young wrestler, like what's something like you should definitely do, and what's something that you absolutely want to avoid doing to piss everybody off? Um. Oh God, I don't know. Um, is there anything you witnessed firsthand? Uh, you know, they say that, that, that you've seen that you're like, oh man, like that that person just just doesn't get it. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it's like super. This is super cliche in wrestling, I guess. But like the biggest do or do not. So it kind of is both of them. Is like you need to when you're new in a place, you need to go up and introduce yourself and shake everyone's hand and just be respectful. Um, I think that a lot of people don't necessarily always do that in in situations that they should and i know at places like ring of honor or wwe or impact that's expected of you um you're a guest in those people's homes and you have to respect that so i think that's the biggest do and then do that don't do not do that (laughs) awesome and where can fans find you online to keep up with everything yeah, everyone can follow me on Twitter at Deanna Perrazzo. Uh, that's the best way to get in contact with me. Great. Well, Deanna, I really do appreciate the time. It was fun chatting with you. It's great to see your progress these last few years, and I wish you the very best going forward. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs>